Hi, I'm Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton, and you're listening to Single High, a Notre Dame football podcast from UHND.com, the official home of the Kyle Hamilton fan club. Here are your hosts, Frank Vitovich and Greg Flamont. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of Single High, the Notre Dame football podcast presented by UHND.com and now introduced by All-American Safety, Kyle Hamilton. I am your host, Frank Fitovich, one of the founders of UHND.com, and I am joined by perhaps Kyle Hamilton's biggest fan, Greg Flamong. Greg, how are you doing with our new intro? Um, I am the president. I am, <laughs> I am. I am the president of the Kyle Hamilton Fan Club officially. You know, you? it's 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 been in the unofficial capacity for the last like two and a half years. Um, sort of quasi official. You know, I've been given the blessing from the parents, but now that Kyle has uh, himself christened us the official pod of the Kyle Hamilton Fan Club, it's- I accept the presidency. Yes. It is. It's like it, this is like the podcast equivalent of Facebook official, my friend. You. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> I think that feels right. Yes. Oh man, I can't. Man, I, I'm very, I'm very excited to see the comments that we get on this. I'm excited to see what people say on Twitter. I don't think anybody will be too surprised knowing just how big of a fan of uh, of Kyle Hamilton you are. Um, and I gotta say, I don't, I don't know if you had this in mind when you were spitballing ideas for the name of this, uh, for the name of this podcast. And if you were just playing, you know, some chess while I was, while I was playing checkers while we were, while we were setting this up by naming it uh, single high, but uh, I mean, it couldn't have, uh, it could not have worked out any better. I don't, uh, I don't think. Um, it wasn't completely on accident. But it wasn't completely on purpose either. It was, it was, you know, it's it's. Look, if we're gonna be a uh, a Kyle supporting podcast, no matter what, right? It whatever. We're we're we're. I'm a safety. He's a safety. This is a pod su- that supports safeties. So, no matter what, and and you know, wh- what better to have the the best safety there has ever been to uh, to rep the pod. The best that's ever you're you're going ever now. I know I've seen you speak very 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 highly of Sean Taylor in the past. Are you are you there at this point? First of all, R.I.P. Sean Taylor. Too Taylor. soon to talk Way about. Way too it. soon. Um, you know what? Um, Kyle's the one whose name is on the pod, so yep. he gets he gets the title. Wow. All right. Well, yeah. hey, you know what? And and speaking of safeties. Uh, and the secondary in general, a lot going on in the world of Notre Dame recruiting since we last podcasted, um, you know, aside from us getting a pretty sweet introduction uh, here, uh, a lot has a lot has happened in the last week. Uh, we're going to touch on that very b- briefly today because today's main event, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is a interview with Irish Sports Daily's uh, columnist Jamie Umiyama, uh, and I think columnist. I hope columnist is what I don't know. Reporter, beat reporter. Anyway, analyst, analyst extraordinaire. Uh, we uh, we've actually already recorded it, so very excited about it because it turned out to be an awesome, awesome uh, you know discussion 
you know, with um, uh, with Jamie. So pretty, uh, like I said, pretty excited for to bring you guys uh, to bring you guys that. Also, Greg, I can confirm that we can say, you know, ladies and gentlemen on the pod, because according to our podcast statistics, three percent of our audience so far is female and ninety seven percent is male. So thank you, ladies. Uh, you the best are, percent. Who who are listening? Um, hopefully, we can get uh, you know we can get those those the, those numbers up as uh, you know as well. But I did kind of chuckle a little bit when I saw that. I was like, well, that's about right, I guess, you know. And uh, so, but uh, that's where uh, where we're at. We're also seeing a lot of new listeners come through on Apple Podcasts now that the powers that be that Apple you know have decided to grace us. Uh, you know, or allow, or allow us to grace them with our with our presence in uh, in Apple Podcasts. So, on that note, if you aren't subscribing, subscribe to us on uh, Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts. I think I submitted us to uh, Podcast Addict over the weekend, so that uh, that's the uh, the service that my wife uses. Uh, so that I was like, hey, now there's no excuse for you not to mm. listen to our new our new podcast. Um, and damn it, now I can't remember. She was like, okay, fine. And she went to search for it and she didn't call it single high. She called it like single day or something like that. Oh, I was no. like, I was like, thanks, hon. Uh, yeah, but, um, anyway, we're in a lot of those, those, uh, those, um, directory sites now. So definitely subscribe to us, leave us comments. We love the comments. You know, we, uh, we're seeing some come through already. So thank you very much for those of you who have uh, who have recorded or have left reviews for us? We have seven ratings, and we are currently holding steady at a perfect 5.0 out of five on Apple. So thank you very much to the seven of you who have rated us. Hopefully, we see uh, we see some more uh, we see some more come in. But Greg, I know we only want to spend a couple minutes on this, uh, you know, before we play that interview with uh, with Jamie, just because of all the great content that's in it this week. But I, I, you know, I have to bring it up because I saw you tweet it out. You've already said Jaden Bellamy, you know, who's one of the two commitments Notre Dame picked up since we last spoke, along with cornerback uh, Devin Moore. But you, uh, you already said Jaden Bellamy next Julian Love. So I figured I'd give you a minute here to uh, to just to just chat about the two new defensive backs that we uh, we picked up. <laughs> I didn't say he was the next Julian Love. I said he does <laughs> things similar in a way that Julian Love did them um, in high school. So he's he's a versatile guy. He can play all over the field. Um, my kind of player, right? Similar to me, I, I think I feel like, uh, and we can get into this on, a, you know, we'll go in deep on the recruiting stuff on a later pod. But um, he's the kind of guy who who is, I think, a safety put in a corner's body. And I can relate to that. So he um, he's he's probably going to be one of my favorites because of that. So, um, yeah, it's exciting. Exciting pickup. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I also think Devin Moore, great great pickup as well. Anytime you get a corner who's – you're probably 6'2". I've seen him listed some places 6'3", some players 6'2". That's – when he checks in at Notre Dame, it'll probably be like six one and a half or Notre Dame. <laughs> I know Notre Dame's infamous for the well, he's six one and seven eighths or you know the, those those very very um, you know accurate uh, accurate heights. But I mean, anytime you get a cornerback with that kind of length, obviously it's um, you know it's a it's a good thing for your secondary. Both kids had great offer lists. Um, I know both might be three star composite three stars right now. Wouldn't be surprised if that changes. 
you know, for, uh, you know, for, for either of them, uh, really specifically more though, I think you're going to see more shoot up in the rankings by the end of, uh, you know, by the end of, of, uh, you know, of, of his senior year, same with Bellamy. I mean, Bellamy kind of played a little bit, uh, maybe a, a little bit all over, uh, you know, for, uh, for Bergen Catholic, uh, last year, but, uh, even on offense, uh, we, we did a post on it, watch his highlight reel, he makes some good plays on, uh, you know, on offense. So anytime you get a defensive back with that kind of athleticism, uh, obviously, like I said, great, uh, great pickup. Um, and one thing to watch on Devin Moore's highlight reel. Again, we posted this, um, you know, over the week if you haven't, uh, if you haven't seen it. But there are several clips in Devin Moore's junior year highlight where I had to rewind it because I thought I was looking at a wide receiver because Moore is in a better position to catch the football. And it, it almost looks like he's in a natural route running, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, position, uh, you know, to, to come down with the ball. So obviously some great ball skills with, uh, with, with both of those guys. Um, you know, a lot more on the recruiting front is, uh, you know, is heating up CJ, uh, CJ Williams announced his top five just uh, yesterday on, uh, you know, on Wednesday, Notre Dame, Looking like they're in good shape there, but uh, we're going to talk a lot more about receivers in general, uh, you know, with our uh, with our interview here with uh, with Jamie. So before we uh, we kick it on over to that, Greg, anything uh, you wanted to add? No, nah, man, I'm excited. That's uh, I'm really thanks to Jamie for coming on, and uh, it's a good good interview. I I learned a lot, as uh, as did I. So uh, without further ado. We are very excited to have our first guest on the Single High uh, Single High podcast here today. We are being joined by Jamie Uyama from Irish Sports Daily. Uh, we're very excited to to talk some football, talk some recruiting with Jamie. And uh, Jamie, nice, uh, like I said earlier, nice nice to meet you since you and I had not met. And thanks for joining us today. Am I am I the first guest ever? You are the, the first, first guest on this podcast. You're the first guest on this on this iteration of our podcast. So like, oh wow, what an honor! Long, long time ago, um, we had this was even before Greg was working with us. But we had a podcast in like 2008 um, when we didn't really know what we were doing, and we had like Rocket on, and we had a lot of the like the 88 guys and some of the guys from the early 90s. But then we haven't podcasted in 13 years, and we just started again just the last uh, few weeks. So, well, yeah, you, know, we are, you know, Rocket, me, it's all it's all the same. Right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. In the same the same pantheon. Um, I mean, in Greg's mind, I think it's about it's about even. Uh, <laughs> so right, Greg. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, with everything that uh, Jamie's been putting out this uh, this kind of offseason and the things that we've been talking about, it all blends. So I had to I had to reach out to Jamie and get him on because uh, he he's he's the guy who thinks like I do, but he actually puts work and research into supporting his points where I just send out some tweets. So we got, we got to, we got to, we got to have Jamie on to, to give us the lowdown on exactly what's what. Well, that's better than me, Greg, because you, you just send out tweets. I have a couple beers at night and then I message you with like ridiculous comparisons and ridiculous thoughts. So, right. So yeah. it's, it's a whole tiered system, right? You have the, you have the Slack messages. I have the tweets and Jamie has the actual research and articles. So, yeah, so we got, we got all bases, uh, all bases covered here, uh, here today. Um, and I know Greg, you specifically had a couple questions, I think in, in mind just to start off with just following up on, 
some of the things that uh, you know that we've talked about on uh, some of our, our previous pods. I don't know where you want to maybe want to fire off one of those, and we could just see where this goes. Right. So I think it was two episodes ago where we were talking about the the offense and whether or not Notre Dame had to make um, you know kind of wholesale changes to the way that they go about their offense, right? So last year we saw a lot of, you know, a lot of 12, a lot of two tight end looks. That was kind of their base look. Um, a lot of 13, um, not a lot of RPOs, not a lot of play action. And I think, you know, given the way that Nick Saban has talked about, you know, the, the, the game, you can't win on defense anymore. You got to be able to score points and that sort of thing. Like does Notre Dame have to open it up um, you know, much like kind of LSU did in 2019, the way that um, Alabama did last year, um, kind of more like an Oklahoma thing. So I was wondering um, how Jamie felt about that, um, just in terms of like the sustainability of the way Notre Dame's playing offense right now. Well, I, I have to say that I don't think playing, uh, I, I think you can be explosive out of playing playing with two tight ends um i think you can be exposed to playing with three tight ends uh selectively right i i think that's something that uh is possible and i do think that you know as notre dame at, at how they were built last year specifically that was the way they were built last year that's the way that's what tommy reese uh you know offense coordinator tommy reese inherited so he didn't uh, if you look at the personnel from Chip Long, uh, you know, in his three years at, at uh, as offensive coordinator and what they had at receiver compared to what uh, Tommy Reese had at receiver, there's no comparison. Right. And I, I think so. A lot of how they played last year had to do with the personnel. They didn't have you know, they didn't have a Chase Claypool. They didn't have a Miles Boykin. They didn't have an EQ. There was no Kevin Stefferson. You know, um, you know, Javon McKinley, who really hadn't done much, you know, other than a couple of big games in, in some, you know, against some group of five schools and, you know, had a had a, a couple of big plays here and there in, in his fourth year. So you're counting on he anyone who would have said going into his fifth. He, people weren't sure that he was going to be on the team, that they were they were going to welcome him back for a fifth year. And, you know, and they obviously picked up Ben Skoranek, but wasn't like he put up monster numbers at um, Northwestern and, and he was fine. And then Avery Davis obviously was a guy who bounced around a ton of positions. Those are the top three receivers. So I think you look at how that is and you can't, and you, you'd say just personnel wise, they can't stay like that to you and expect to score enough points to beat Alabama, to beat Clemson consistently, right? You can't have that as your, personnel group and that's why and you know it comes back to recruiting i'm sure we'll get back to it later but but i i think you know in terms of you know going back to what nick saban uh and how and how he has approached it and he knows as a defensive coach what gave him the most problems and what how the rules are set up in college football is it is greatly advantageous to the offense to take advantage of being able to call a running play and then yet still being able to throw the football. So, uh, you know, RPOs, run pass option plays, having linemen three yards down the field. And, I mean, there's linemen who are four years, uh, four yards, five yards down the field. They're not calling it. Like, you rarely ever see it. I think there was like an Alex Bars play in 
uh, against Wake Forest in 2018. And that was the only time when Notre Dame was running RPOs that I can remember them ever calling it. Right. And you, you just don't see it very often. So, yeah, I think when you look at what Notre Dame did last year, I don't think you can stay the, the same they they were as they were schematically. You can't run that few RPOs. You have to run more play action, especially if you're going to play heavy like they they were. And maybe they didn't because they didn't feel comfortable with, you know, what they were getting out of Ian Book there. Maybe they weren't comfortable with receivers or whatnot, right? But what they were doing, they, they didn't have enough play action out of their base run plays, in my opinion, based on looking at it. And I, they were one of the lower ranked teams in terms of play action. Like the high play action teams are like almost like, you know, 45 to 50% play action, right? And a lot of that is RPOs and, and all that mixed in. And they count that as play action too. But Notre Dame is around low 20s. And it was higher uh, earlier uh, under Chip Long. I think it was like 31% um, in 2017. But, I mean, it's got to get closer to around 40%. And, and I think you just... Do that, and I mean, the name of the game, and to be able to create explosive plays is, um, you know, you have to have more dudes. Obviously, you got to have better athletes, and you have to have better athletes that can win outside and all that, right? You know, you have you have to have you know studs in the back, but you have to have great line, all that kind of stuff. But you also have to be able to not not just necessarily scheme stuff up, but get set up plays where you can win and take your shots when you can get them. And whether that is, you know, taking a shot down the field or setting up something after the catch, you know, that's what you got to do. And I think if, if you probably, if you ask Tommy Reese, he'd probably say the same thing. They need to be more explosive and do that thing. And I, I think, you know, it's only the spring game. You don't want to overreact to the blue gold game, whatever, but they ran a lot more play action. They hit the tight ends down the seam a lot more. In that game, they took a lot more shots, obviously, with Lawrence Keyes uh, out of the slot. And that's the kind of thing that they, I think you would need to do in order to be more explosive in addition to, you know, improving the personnel. And, you know, by the way, just not to, not to go off on a tangent, but you know when they will call a legal man downfield since you mentioned that, you know, offensive linemen are five yards down the field. It'll be like in Tallahassee at a critical play. <laughs> Notre Dame will have converted a fourth and goal, you know, or a fourth and fourth and five, fourth and six, and that's when that's when the uh, the flag will will, will come out on uh, on Notre Dame, just like it did seven years ago. I had to think of the uh, how long ago, but um, Greg, you looked like you had some some follow ups there. I saw some head nodding as you were uh, as you were listening along. Yeah, so Jamie had already has written about the lack of play action last year, and I think for me. That was even more than the RPOs. I think that was the more the most baffling thing that they didn't do last year, because if you're going to be such a run heavy team and you're so obviously a run heavy team like you, you know, Jamie, you said 40 percent. I I would have been fine with like 60, 70 percent of just play action because everything can be based on the thing that you do best and the thing that you want to do best. Um, and, you know, it, Tommy Reese is never going to tell us why or, you know, what it was. And I, and, and last year was such a unique year from a preparation standpoint, you know, you have no install in the spring. Um, you know, you had players get hurt. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Jamie, you mentioned there's no Claypool or Boykin or EQ. 
they didn't have their top two receivers last year. And, you know, at some point, I think, you know, when those guys get hurt and, you know, fans, whether it be on, you know, message boards or Twitter or whatever, you know, fans kind of make a big deal. It's like, oh, this is a big problem. And it's not that Notre Dame can't figure it out. It's they, they can figure it out. They did figure it out. They went 10 and 0. They were number two in the nation. But at some point, that sort of thing is going to catch up with you. And it, it caught up with them in the championship rounds, um, as it has in the past. And I think that's what's hard for people to reconcile is like it caught up with them last year in the championship rounds, but they had Claypool and Boykin in 2018. And there was kind of the same result. So it, there's a little bit of it just like uh like i think fans are tired are kind of tired of hearing about you know the lack of um i guess personnel when you know you had personnel at other times and it didn't work out i i mean it's it's hard to it's hard to uh compare seasons right it's hard to compare 2018 with a different offensive coordinator and a different line just like a different totally different situation um from you know 2020 with Tommy, I do think that people are are kind of overrating what the offense looked like last year, and in, in terms of like that's how Tommy Reese wants to play. And I don't know oh, that we big know big time, that. big yeah. time. I, I think that is a gross overreaction. Um, and uh, sorry to interrupt you. I, I no, just, it's okay. No, yeah, that that to me is completely ignoring. Not only just the personnel and the team last year, but also what Tommy Reese has kind of said and what Brian Kelly has said is, I mean, and everyone has thought I've get angry at some of the um, there's, you know, there's some people out there that are, you know, I'd say a vocal minority talking about how Notre Dame had to, well, they should have done this against Alabama and that and this. And it's like, but if you ask most you know, offensive coordinators in that game and what they had to do in order to to have a shot at beating Alabama, they played it how they had to play it. And they played it what was to the strengths of their team. And it just so happens that when you go big and they can go big and go heavy and dominate other teams, well, you can't really do that with Alabama because they have the personnel to match you, right? So, um, and... So Notre Dame was supposed to go five wide. Well, who are going to be the five wide? You know, like they don't, they didn't have that. They didn't have that option. So um, you weren't going to change your identity completely. I understand being adaptable and all that, but their identity was what got, was what helped get them there in that game. And their identity was based off the strengths of their quarterback, you know, the offensive line, the, the personnel that they had. And, I don't think if if kept so you know you you know Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay if Braden Lindsay's you know healthy hamstring the whole year if Kevin Austin's healthy the whole year I think the offense looks a lot different I think it looks a lot different and um, I'm sure that this year's offense you know especially minus Tommy Tremble because t- to me Tommy Tremble allowed them to be how they were in terms of playing that multiple with the tight ends and all they did with the running game. It, you know, he's such a Swiss army knife and without him, like there is no other him on the roster. Like Michael Mayer is going to be a great tight end and great at what he does, but he, he could do 
at a tiny piece of what Tommy Tremble did, did as a run blocker, but just that piece. You know, he's not going to be the same guy. So if anyone thinks that this is how they're going to try to, you know, square peg round hole, I, I just that's not Tommy Reese. You know that I don't even think that's I mean, that's not most coaches in college football, but it's I, I would say that's definitely not Tommy Reese from everything he has said this offseason. Man, even in I think I mentioned this to Craig a couple of weeks ago. Even in the, uh, the the Rose Bowl, like we actually, I thought we ran the ball about as good as I could have hoped for against an Alabama defense who had no reason to respect the passing game. Like Kyron averaged four yards a carry against Alabama's defense that knew there was no no threat to go over the top, and he did it with a long of fifteen. So it wasn't like he ripped off a 60 yarder and then the rest of the run, you know, his, his average was inflated, um, you know, from that. But um, you know, why do you think it was then like knowing kind of what the personnel were last year? Um, why, why was, why do you think, or, you know, the, the play action percentage was so low and it was only in the, in the, in the twenties since, I mean, Ian could run. Everybody knows that Ian was, and that's been some fans concern this year is that Cone, assuming he starts, doesn't have the ability to run like book did. I, I actually I have no idea why um, it, it was, you know, I, I think I, I, I really don't know. I, I, I only Tommy Reese could say why and or maybe not only Tommy Reese, because obviously others in the offensive staff could say. Um, um, but I, I would say, you know, some of that is probably, um, you know, he was a first year coordinator and he's, um, you know, he's has idea of how he's calling a game and or and how he's designing things and probably you know if he could have probably gone back and changed it in the offseason he probably would have you know i'm sure to get better results right so i I don't know why they didn't uh run play action more but to me they just right away in the offseason that was to me that was like number one on my list of like they need to do that more because I think one of the things with Chip Long, there's a lot of bad with Chip Long, a lot of bad with Chip Long. But part of the good was with Chip Long was he was really good at kind of setting up calls to take not just necessarily shot plays, but setting up like like Braden Lindsay scoring on a reverse against USC. Dexter Williams, right? They run the influence block looks like you know looks like they're running uh pin and pull one way and dexter's going the other way right it looks he was very good at setting those kind of plays up and i think that was one thing where it was almost too reliant on that i don't think they executed at a high level uh, other than that uh so they kind of relied on that a little bit too much but i think um, you know, maybe there was just an emphasis. Um, my only guess would be there was such an emphasis on execution and getting this, you know, right. And we got to do this right. And that they didn't lean onto some of the other things that they could have done in terms of like setting up like, well, you know, here's a here's a call. Like, I mean, every every coordinator, you know, typically has like, you know, five calls on, on a on, in, in a game week. Right. Where they're they're like special for that week where there's like, this is how we're going to set it up. And I don't think there was a lot of that with, with uh, Notre Dame. I think we saw the, like, the pit game, especially they, I think there was definitely some of that, that the first Clemson game. 
And maybe, you know, as like a first year play caller, you're just out of rhythm when you're playing and you're not having the same kind of success against uh, Clemson and Alabama in those games. So that's why they didn't go to some of those kind of things that you would have normally thought of. You know, you're just trying to get, you know, you're just trying to move the sticks in, in those kind of situations. But I, I mean, I really don't have an answer for why it was lower than it was percentage-wise in, in terms of play action. Go ahead, Greg. I see you. <laughs> no, <laughs> having, I, I, having video has been nice uh, for this because I know when yeah. you're ready to ask a question. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that that's all, like, I'm equally as baffled. It was something I just never understood. And even this, the thing about, like, I try to reconcile, like, what it is. And, um, Jamie, you mentioned, like, maybe Ian Book just wasn't, wasn't comfortable. I could see, you know, I could see it if he wasn't comfortable with maybe those receivers because he hadn't worked with them. You know, he hadn't really worked with Ben. He hadn't really worked with, um, he'd worked with McKinley, but not as a, you know, as the number one boundary guy. Um, same with Avery Davis. So, um, but then again, like play action is pretty, it's pretty standard, basic staple of football, you know? So, and especially it's like one of those things where, it's like, I don't know if we need to become comfortable with it because if we're going to be a running team, this needs to be a big, um, a big weapon for us. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of transition to something that, uh, Jamie, you wrote about, I think it was last week about, um, explosiveness with size at receiver, because I think, you know, there's been a lot of kind of discussion this recruiting cycle about the, the types of receivers that Notre Dame's going after. Um, right. So so CJ Williams, 6'2", round 200. Tobias Merriweather, 6'4". Um, they're looking at Nicholas Anderson, who's 6'4". Marion Walker, 6'4". Um, the uh, the Canadian, Jamie's boy, the, Alec, uh, Alec. A.O. Manor, yeah. A.O. Manor, like he was another big guy. Um, and there's been a lot of calls for, you know, kind of a, a smaller receiver type. So someone like um, Caden Saunders, who they're after, or Tyler Morris or something like that. Um, what was it? Did you write this? Was it a standalone article? Or was it in your Thursday thought? No, it was a standalone article. Um, so basically, I went back and looked at the last four years um, and I looked at um, – you know, yards per route run. And I looked at, um, you know, 20 yard uh, receptions or more, which is, I mean, in general, that's how people measure, would measure an explosive passing play, right? 20 yards or more right. for the yeah. most part, right? And, um, you know, 80, like around, you know, 75 to 80% in most years, it's, it was, you know, it's this, most guys six feet and above. And and frankly, most guys six two and above were the majority of those guys who are six feet and above, right? So um yeah, you can find um so like even I mean, and that includes like Devontae Smith obviously is, is six feet, but and he's smaller. Um, but you're just not gonna find everyone is like, man, we gotta get this like little explosive slot guy. And, you know, a 2-2 Atwell, a, a, you know, a Louisville uh, receiver, like a, that kind of guy. And that's the kind of guy that they want because they think of jet sweeps and they think of, you know, uh, you know, running a slot fade and all, all that kind of stuff. And it's not like you don't want those guys. You want those guys. But unless that guy runs a 4-3 or, you know, 
around four four or lower, like um, that's not a guy you really want. In terms of getting explosive plays, you can find really good production from those guys, but you don't. This idea that you have to get a smaller body type and smaller means quicker, it means more explosive. That's not based in reality. That's not what there is. That's not how it's it's been. And a lot of these guys, you know, taller, bigger targets. And it's, you know, it's winning contested, winning back shoulder on the boundary. So, obviously, Notre Dame's had some really good boundary receivers. It's, you know, being able to go up over top guys. But it's also, look at Claypool and Boykin and look how they ran. at the, I mean, big, fast guys. Like, um, you know, and I wrote way back, and this was something, I can't remember when it was, but it was earlier in the year about how, uh, Clemson in that 2018 game really took advantage of putting, you know, Justin Ross and T Higgins on the same side, right? And playing those I mean, two six four guys there, and I mean Notre Dame did uh, something very similar in 2019 when they had Cole Komet would line up in the slot and they would have Chase Claypool uh, outside. They'd run four verts, and if teams were playing single high, well. They have to respect Cole down the seam, and if they don't, and if they shade to uh, Claypool too much, well, then they're going to get burned down the seam by by Komet. And if they, and if they don't res- if they respect that too much, then Claypool's one on one on the outside, and he's going to either run by or jump over top of or whatever. And we know that Ian Book not the most accurate deep ball thrower, but he just pretty much has to throw it up and give Claypool a shot. In those situations, that and Claypool won those a ton in 2019, right? So I think that is kind of where I, I think what you want, you want to have the ability to, you know, get vertical, but also, you know, win contested, right? And so, and unless you have Golden Tate uh, or, or Steve Smith or a DJ Moore, uh, you know, former Maryland guys at Carolina right now, you have one of those guys who's like equally explosive, great after the catch. And also somehow, even though for a short guy is a ridiculous jump ball receiver, then, I mean, you'd probably shade toward getting a six, three guy because those guys just, those are the guys who are making the big plays in college football right now. And we, we, we had, I had kind of talked about or not talked about tweeted about just like I remember just thinking about it because, you know, when people are talking about the the receivers, the type of the receivers they're recruiting. I just think like the, the one season where I felt like, man, this this passing game is super explosive was the 05 team. And that was six, four or six, four Samarja, six, five Stovall. And then they, they wanted to have Rima McKnight at six, two, and they wanted him in the slot. And. You know, Remy McKnight ended up getting hurt, but had he not, I mean, that team would have been, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the blueprint in my yeah. opinion. And, and that was and, like, yeah, before, before any of this, that was, they were doing it before anyone really. Yeah. 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 And, um, and it, it just, it makes me think of, of guys like, um, like CJ Williams, who, who they're, they're looking at now and who, you know, Notre Dame is you know, reportedly in a good spot for, and he talked about, you know, they like him in the slot as like a Keenan Allen type. 
And I think that goes to kind of what you wrote about and, you know, what we're talking about is you get a guy like him who, you know, is a good route runner. His, his speed is improving. I got to tell you, you know, the track times 48, eight is not nothing in the 400 friends. So that's, uh, that, that intrigues me a lot more about him. Um, but just that idea of going big and leaning into the size, especially with the way that they, you know, recruit on the offensive line, um, you know, the, the running back recruiting, you know, they didn't get Singleton, but you know, you have Jadarian Price, who's a very good running back, um, just kind of leaning into that size. It's just really, um, it intrigues me, I guess, just from what the offense is doing and where, where it looks like they want to go with it. Well, so, yeah, so I mentioned the Clemson, right, and T. Higgins yeah. and Justin Ross. And obviously, Amari Rogers, you know, he's an example of, like, that's a smaller guy that you'd want on your team, right? And, uh, you know, but he had one the one big productive year when those guys weren't there, right? So he wasn't the same player that he was this year, right? So, um, I mean, certainly you'd want that, but they did their damage by putting those guys on the same side, you know, Higgins and uh and Justin Ross, right? And then LSU, most prolific offense maybe ever, right? Terrace, Mar- Terrace Marshall, Justin Jefferson played a ton in the slot, 6'2", right? Uh, Jamar Chase, they're, those are big, big guys. I mean, they're all fast guys, but they're big guys, right? People think Justin Jefferson, because they watch him run routes and they see how quick he is, they think that he's like 5'11 or something, but he's 6'2", right? So I think... You know, that is where things are kind of trending. And I mean, and then Terrace Marshall this year, right? And, you know, LSU was obviously terrible overall as a football team. He scored 10 touchdowns from the slot. He's six foot three, six foot four, right? Like that is, it's about, you know, the passing game, you know, I mean, it's way too simplistic to put it this, but a lot of it is finding matchups, right? And finding matchups and where you can win. And, um, you can win with, you know, big is always going to win a lot over, over small. Um, and especially when you think about slot corners and slot corners, extremely hard to find a good slot corner, right? Like, I mean, Notre Dame had six years. They had Sean Crawford whenever he was healthy, he was there, but whenever he wasn't, they were in pro- they had a problem finding a slot corner. Right. So, and, but Sean Crawford, perfect example. I mean, you put him up against Justin Jefferson. I mean, Justin Jefferson is going to eat because he's going to win not just, you know, speed or whatever, but he's also bigger. So he can go up over the top too. So that's the kind of matchup that you're talking about. And I, 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 I really like CJ Williams. I, I think that he is a perfect kind of fit for what you would want in a slot receiver in this kind of age. And I remember Chip Kelly obviously didn't have the most successful run in Philadelphia. But one of the things that he did do that I always thought was, you know, not not, maybe not revolutionary, but he approached it in a way where, you know, Jordan Matthews, they drafted him and they said, we're going to this big guy is going to play in the slot. And I and immediately after that, I was like, this is it, it almost is like that's insane what about Wes Welker and like that's (laughs) because everybody thinks of those types right but really you know Chip Kelly you can say for all his faults he really is one of those guys who kind of thinks 
you know, two steps ahead in uh, offensively. Right. And he was kind of at the forefront of, of that kind of idea of being bigger there. And I think that's just the way to go unless you have just a guy who's just an elite, elite athlete at, 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 you know, at sub six feet. You're speaking my language there, bringing up the, uh, the Jordan Matthews, Chip Kelly, uh, Chip Kelly connection as a, I knew you're a Philly a, guy. So yeah, a, I love, I love it. I was actually even going to mention too the, the mentions of Jefferson are, are still painful since, uh, the Eagles now are the, were the only team that didn't look at Jefferson as an explosive receiver, and, and yeah. so J- Jalen Rager over over Mister uh, Mister uh, Mister Jefferson. But um, yeah, no, and I mean even still, I think even I can remember back to those Chip Kelly days, which I or um, yeah, Chip Kelly days, which I tried to block out. I think they even tried, you know, they had Riley Cooper on the outside, who was. You know the big guy, like what was he, six four or or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. And then with uh, with Matthews on the inside, and then they put Deshaun Jackson on the outside as a little guy, which was uh, an interesting interesting pairing. But yeah, it worked it worked well for a little while. But um, and it's also been very fun seeing Greg come around on C.J. Williams as his track times have been released. Because <laughs> I do remember a few messages like. I don't know about this track time when the, when the first one came out and then like the next one came out and he's like, well, that's better. And then like the most recent, he was like, I'm all in, I'm all in. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Um, so I, I guess let's assume perfect world here. Notre Dame lands CJ um, to pair him with, with Walker. And then we'll stay in the perfect world, even though we know it hasn't been perfect the last few weeks, but um, that Merriweather comes on board too. Do you think then Notre Dame needs fourth receiver in this class and if so what do you what would be like an ideal fourth type receiver to complement uh, those three i 100 percent they need a fourth receiver in yep. the class um i just think um you know if you look at the obviously what the the classes that they've missed on um right and you know they don't have a receiver from the, I think it was the 2019 class based because, you know, Cam Hart switched and Kendall Abdur, uh, Ramon's out now. So, and then you got one from um, the Jordan Johnson, Jay Brunel, Xavier Watts is the only guy left, right? So I just think they need the numbers there. So you would take, you would take that. And I know they obviously have an offer out to Xavier Bradshaw um, who, you know, I think that he's the guy that a lot of Notre Dame fans like because they think, oh, here's this small guy who's explosive. Right. To me, I watch his film and he doesn't pop for me as being super fat. I haven't seen verified times on him or anything like that. Maybe if he runs a verified, you know, you know, four, four, seven or something like that, then then maybe that'll change my mind about 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 him. But I just to me, he doesn't pop as a super explosive guy the way that i would like to see him uh, on film and he's also one of those smaller guys and i know obviously he's got the pedigree his dad played in the nfl was a really good player in the nfl right running back for the giants um but to me i i would much rather they lean towards getting a bigger guy so uh ayo manor i'm questions about him because there's just not a lot of film on him right and it's not his fault it's just He's one of those pandemic kids in terms of 
you know, Massachusetts, uh, him transferring into a school in Massachusetts and then not really having a full season. And, you know, but he worked out at camp and he's another guy. Um, unreal track times for a guy his size. Right. Um, you know, six three two fifteen, and you run a sub 1100 meters. It's pretty darn impressive. Right. So, um, I, you know, he, and I, you see the physical traits that are exciting. Right. So, I mean, he would be the guy, I think, in addition to the other, those other that you mentioned that, you know, kind of stands out, but I mean, Andre Green obviously would be the number one if, but Andre Green didn't visit in the summer. He didn't visit in the summer. You know, he's got, he's apparently going to visit in October. I, I don't know for sure if, um, I don't think it was because Notre Dame wasn't high on him is, is what I would, uh, is how I would put it with why he didn't visit in the summer. So it's not like they're waiting to see the other guys. I think there's some other things there that, uh, you know, were leading to him not to visit at that time. So, but I don't know. I mean, things change so quickly there. I think people always think that, oh, yeah, like um, the guys who are on the board right now, this is the board. Well, the board's going to change again because a lot of people who had the spring seasons where they maybe only played five games. What if you're hurt for two of those games? Right. There's going to be guys who blow up and way more guys this year that blow up in their senior year that they need to kind of look out for. Um the camp season was not a typical camp season, so they didn't get as many evaluations as they probably would have wanted. Wanted guys didn't compete at some of these uh, at, as many camps as they normally would have, so they don't. Guys who maybe would have blown up didn't get to blow up really the, at the same uh, rate that they would have. So there's going to be some other names on there that emerge. I definitely think that. I mean, if. Ideal world, just from a talent perspective, they they get C.J. Williams, Andre Green, Tobias Merriweather. I mean, that's a heck of a class, right? But I I don't know how likely that is to happen with Green. Um, and, and you'll have to kind of wait till the fall to kind of see more if if that is going to be a possibility. But you know, I I think A.O. Manor is one of these guys too who. If if all of a sudden he became this guy who was like really like his ranking shot way up, similar to Amorian Walker who missed you know almost all of his junior season, and you know you would kind of feel more comfortable if you had only one of those guys in the class. But I mean, if you get two, get two guys who are like you know Amorian Walker ran a four four one at Alabama's camp. I mean, mm. you want to get yeah. those kind of big fast guys yeah. like that. So. Watching watching the the change in reaction from Notre Dame fans on Walker has also been hilarious. From yeah. why did why did we why did we take this guy to now it's all well he's gonna obviously decommit because LSU yeah. and Alabama and everybody else is um, you know is, uh, is 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 recruiting him. So that has been just a lot of fun to watch the uh, the 180 that has happened within within Notre Dame fans for uh, for Walker. Yeah, and no no better example of the board changing than last cycle. I mean, who who in the summer of 2020 knew Audric Estime's name? You know, no besides yeah. besides Recruitniks, and the same thing with Kari G. So, um, you know, I think in terms of just like recruiting, I think we know they want Williams and Merriweather. You got to get those two guys. 
um, just for, you know, that th- they've been after them for a long time. I mean, just, just from like time spent, you know, like you've identified them regardless of what I think about them, like Notre Dame identified them as targets that they want. You really need to get them. And then, and then like Jamie said, um, then you can, you can, get go to the fall see if someone you know blows up or if something happens with andre green um you know maybe like you said maybe xavion bradshaw maybe he runs some times that or he his game on tape shows you know something different um jamie you you wrote something today it's on the kind of the recruiting tip that i i was really happy to see not happy to see i guess just because it you know, there's been a lot of um, talk about the the way the defense is recruiting right now is is obviously it's going very well. And it's been instead of it being like this great celebration, it's like, oh, the defense, like they're recruiting great. Like, that's awesome. It's been kind of like a, a cudgel to like beat over the offensive staff with. And I've I've kind of just it's it kind of bugs me. And I'm, I feel like, who am I trying to convince, right? Like, I'm I'm not trying to go in on like an article on Twitter um, or something like that and just kind of yell at people because who needs to do that? But you wrote an article today in your Thursday thoughts about just the way the offense recruits. And it just kind of like goes against the narrative of like the offensive coaches are just kind of wandering in the woods and the, you know, players sign with them almost by accident, almost despite their, their poor efforts. So I just wanted to kind of give you the floor to talk about, you know, offensive recruiting is a little bit better than, than conventional wisdom at the moment. Yeah, it's better. And I think it actually, it's been going better this cycle than it has in other years, but you don't notice it because the defense is, Doing, they've raised the level up to a much higher level than they have than they have been. Um, yeah, I, 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 there was something I wrote about the last week about how people just casually ignore that they didn't sign very many blue chip recruits in the previous two classes on defense, and it was very much a in Clark Lee we trust approach to a lot of these guys. Uh, well, they, I mean, there was definitely whispers about Clark Lee and being like this guy doesn't recruit very well and, and, you know, he's not landing the top guys or he's not giving uh, enough of an effort or whatever that always happens. Right. But, but that, you know, there was a bit of that talk, but obviously the results were so good on the field that people weren't, um, you know, talking about it as much, but then you kind of see how they've done with Marcus Freeman and obviously Mike Elson's taking back over, uh, you know, recruiting coordinator duties and what they've done, you know, behind the season with recruiting departments up and they've taken it up like to, a very, very high level, but this class on offense, they might sign more, you know, four stars than they have in any class since 2013, which was the most that they signed in, in any class for the Brian Kelly era. Um, but it gets looked glossed over because of what's going on. And then I think, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'll get to Dell Alexander in, in, in a second, but, you know, Lance Taylor, it's like, you know, don't shoot high. Don't don't set expectations high because if he had just said Jadarian Price was our number one guy and then they got him, 
and they said, we're taking one back in the class, people would have been fine, right? I think most people would have been fine. But the fact that it's – they're just reacting to Nicholas Singleton, who's obviously another highly ranked guy, but they – had him and lost him or whatever, right? That that's the perception. So people were like, oh, Lance Taylor, you know, taking another L, right? Lost to uh, Will Shipley in the previous one, even though Will Shipley's from South Carolina and wasn't able to come up and visit uh, Notre Dame and Clemson's down the road, right? So, um, and or ignoring the fact that they kind of recovered nicely at running back in, in the class and, um. I think, you know, but when you compare it to how most of other programs have done, you know, they're right up there with Oklahoma, uh, with uh, Penn State, um, with Ohio State and and all those schools. Right. They're they're right up there with them in terms of number of, you know, blue chips that they've signed. Right. And um, and then. Certainly, too, I think running back even more so than even quarterback, guys really tend to look at the, oh, how many guys did they take in front of me, right, in in the previous class, or how many are they taken in this class? And, you know, Oklahoma didn't take a, take a back in the last class. So, yeah, they can get, um, you know, uh, really brown and then and, and get Gavin Sautrick because they didn't take a back in the, in the class before, right? They just took transfers. Guys are going to be out right away, right? So, um, you know, when they do that, that, you know, those guys know that, I mean, there's going to be plenty of playing time, plenty of opportunity there, right? So that, I mean, and in, in, in addition to it just being Oklahoma and they've done a good job with, with running back. Same thing with uh, Penn State and, and what they took, right? And they know if the guy, if, if, you know, they only took a three star in the last class. Like these guys know that they, they pay attention to the depth charts. And so I, I think Lance Taylor has kind of, you know, I, I think you could say it's not to say that he couldn't do better, you know, because, yeah, you want to land Singleton. You want to land Will Shipley. Um, but, you know, considering how they've done and who they have landed, people are just ignoring that fact. Right. And really when it's very comparable. Right. And obviously he Chris Tyree as well. Right. Uh, as part of it, you know, and they're judging it like they're looking at like recruiting before he got there, too. And all of a sudden he gets lumped in and it's it's not fair to him. Right. And it's just like if you look at J- Jeff Quinn on offense, like Jeff Quinn, you know, and, you know, judging him based on how guys have developed, whatever, that's a completely other topic. But just. As a recruiter, and a lot of people had a lot of questions about him as a recruiter. And, I mean, he's been dynamite. He's been really, really good. The, they they recruit as well as anyone outside of Georgia and Alabama. He's right there. There, it's They recruit. Ohio State lands a lot of, you know, top 100 kids and four-star kids. And he signed the exact same amount as them, even though he came in late in that 2018 class. And, you know, inherited three-star kids that he didn't recruit, right? So right. Um, so he probably would have been up on Ohio State. I, I, I Well, I'm going to say 100% he would have been because, I mean, Harry Eastland was checked out as a recruiter in the last year, right? So that, you know, he's he is recruited at, at an elite level and a lot better. And Mario Cristobal, ton of credit for what he's done at Oregon and all the, you know, the studs that he's landed on the offensive line. 
It's the exact – he landed the exact same amount of top 100 kids and the exact same amount of four stars as Jeff Quinn. But you never hear, man, that Jeff Quinn, Mar- and him and Mario Cristobal, killing it. You never hear anything about it. But really, results and based on, you know, rankings and all that, and they do matter. Stars do matter in, in, in the long run. It's just statistically they do. And he's recruited up with them. Now, you know, Della Alexander is the the other option. It's not he's he hasn't recruited horribly, right? I think people react like everything's the end of the world. They lose Nicholas Anderson, who would have been at best the third best receiver in the class, and that is seen as horrible, right? And you know, Dell Alexander doing terrible again, but really he's done fine uh, you know, with his uh recruiting. But the problem is is that, you know, Ohio State LSU, Oklahoma, you know, Alabama, um, all these other schools are recruiting like elite, elite, like close to double digits, top 100 kids. Like if so, he's from Dell since his first recruiting cycle in 2018, he signed two top 100 kids, right? Kevin Austin, and Jordan Johnson. Well, Jordan Johnson is out, right? And that's not necessarily Dell's fault, but I'm just saying that he's out. So, that's one less guy. And obviously Kevin Austin has been hurt and suspended and all that, right? Well, when you only sign two, there's just less margin for error there. And so if, you know, LSU signed six, well, they can have two guys that didn't work out like that because even if only two other of the of the other four that are left over end up being studs, that's still like much better than Notre Dame because they have that. Well, Ohio State's 10, 10 top 100 kids at receiver in the last four cycles. Like, I mean, how do you compete with you? I mean, that's how that's who you're competing with, right? Clemson, that's you. They have, you know, six guys. But then they also have signed more like, you know, every one of them has signed a dozen four stars and Notre Dame has signed eight four stars. Right. So they have, they, you know, in general, too, I think. Recruiting rankings are more accurate with receivers um, and defensive backs than they are for any other uh, positions because there's way more evaluation opportunities because of seven on seven and and all that. And you can see a lot of things there and you get to see these guys in person rather than it's hard for a linebacker to shine in seven. seven. It's hard for a running back to shine. Some of the old linemen camps when they're just doing one, it, 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 you can see some stuff, but it's it's not the same as evaluating them on film or in person. It's it's much different, right? And then obviously too, the physical development is so much greater for for those linemen especially, right? So that's different. So receiver in general, in general, you know you're gonna want the guys who are four stars, the guys who are top 100 kids. Those guys are going to end up being pretty good players a lot of time or more of the time than some of the other guys. So you want to land more of them. And Notre Dame hasn't landed. So you can understand it's there should be a lot of pressure on Dell Alexander because him compared. If you look at Jeff Quinn compared to who he's who he's recruiting against and Lance Taylor compared to who he's recruiting against, since both those guys have been on the staff. They're right up there, right up there with guys they're competing at a level they're recruiting at a level that's you know uh, you know jeff quinn top three level right lance taylor 
at, at least a top 10 level in terms of uh, running back, right? Uh, in terms of what they're doing. And, you know, Dell Alexander, it's, you know, probably like top 20 level. But the difference is, is that the top five or six are like so much further ahead. And that's, and when, and it comes back to what we were talking about and all this too, with the personnel is, I mean, it's a lot easier to call plays and you, you look like a genius coordinator when you're throwing it to, you got two or three Claypools on, on your, uh, you know, on at your receiver court. Right. And that's what a lot of these teams have. Right. So, and that's what Notre Dame hasn't had. They, they've always, and, and I think in a lot of those games too, and I've, I've, I know I've written this a bunch of times, talked about it a bunch of times on Power Hour and everything, that Notre Dame, especially in those games like against Georgia, where, I mean, Georgia should be running the floor with, should be destroying Notre Dame based on how they recruit compared to Notre Dame. Right. So right. you look at those games in, in retrospect and you say, well, you know, obviously Brian Kelly and his staff, they did a great job in those games because, you know, those are one score games. Like, you know, you lose by one point in, in the in the one game, but really Georgia has a far greater talent level and they have more of those like five-star player. They always had just that one. So well, not even just that one thing. So, uh, you know, that I can't remember if it was Terry Godwin who made that catch. Yeah. The one hand one catch off, right? against Julian. Love. So, yeah. And it wasn't like Terry Godwin didn't do anything else in that game, but he did that. Right. Right. It was an amazing catch. Five-star player. Right. Oh. So, and you know what? He didn't end up being a you know stud in the NFL or anything like that. But I mean, when you have guys capable of making just that one play, that matters. And and in those games, so especially if you look at the next game at Georgia, you know Cole Komet, awesome in that game, great in that game. You were like, wow, Cole Komet. You know, obviously his first healthy game of that year. You were like, wow, this guy's going to be a stud. He's one of the best yeah. tight ends in the nation. Chase Claypool, great in that game, right? stud whatever right like those guys and then you just look at georgia and where they were and deandre swift even though notre dame did a pretty good job against them he just broke a, enough tackles in that game where it's just like wow this guy just made it a difference in that game and you know they they had the guys that receiver where they just make one play right and then um and, and end of the game they need a sack, Aziz Ujulari, right? Who not many people knew about at that time, but if you, they watched him on film before the game, the guy was awesome. Like he was going, but he was another really highly recruited guy who was just like, you know, he's one of the best pass rushers uh, in the draft. This year. Like that's, you know, what Notre Dame was missing is they always had that just one extra guy. And if, if Notre Dame had... So if Notre Dame had – if Kyron Williams was the Kyron Williams of the year before, and maybe they, they didn't even try to run the ball in that game, maybe if they did, that's the kind of thing could make a difference in a one-point game. So that's why when I always – people say, like, I don't really pay attention to stars and whatever and all that. Well, yeah. it ends up mattering in those games. Right. Or if they had Kevin Austin. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was even uh, eighteen Clemson. Uh, I mean, poor Dante Vaughn. Actually, yeah. I mean, his his coverage wasn't bad. The kid get got roasted because he just got yeah. a couple of ridiculous catches made. But that's on him. but that's a five. Even star. though he's right, yeah, but he was right there. And in, in in 
most of the cases where he got burned that game. He was not, wasn't like he just got destroyed. He was, you know, Ambrose Wooden close to making plays on, uh, on those, uh, on those passes. Well, and uh, so in that game specifically too, and obviously when love went out, that was what yeah. turned the game flipped, right? When, when he yeah. went out and the 2017 class, right? And obviously 2016 class had a lot to do with it, but you know, Paulson Adebo was supposed to be in that class. Well, he would have been the guy who came in there and, I don't know. Maybe he's getting toasted too, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe he's making a couple plays and keeping Notre Dame in the game, right? So, and and that's why, that's why it matters, right? Is is because yeah. all of a sudden, and 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 it just takes one injury to to do that. It's just or that uh, that 2018 defense, a great a great defense. Obviously, Jerry Tillery was fantastic. Obviously, became a first round pick. But he hurt his shoulder, played the back half of the year with a bat, with he was playing with with one shoulder basically. But they didn't have the depth there to say like, well, not that he could sit out a game or anything like that, but to say like, well, we're gonna have another guy who can play at a really high level there. And at that time they didn't, right? Because I mean, Myron Tagovailoa got hurt at the beginning of the year. He missed out. Maybe he would have been a guy who helped out a lot. And they played Jason Adonola as a freshman he was not the same player that he is now. And, you know, they, and that's why, you know, you can't, when you miss on certain years or whatever, it comes back to bite you. So it all, it, I mean, it's always in those situations. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a very, I'm very, very, uh, it's important. It's important yeah. to, to, yeah. to land these guys. And, and that's why too. And, and that's why I totally empathize with anyone who's like, well, Notre Dame is, you know, they missed out on this guy or whatever. Because, yeah, sometimes it does matter, right? Sure. But, I mean, but then at the same time, I think you have to look at it from those. You can't just always be reactionary and look at it. Like, yeah, not signing a corner in 2017, bad, right? Terrible, right? But, you know, if they lose out on one guy there, if, but they if they ended up signing, they'd lose out on Debo. But they, they did sign Elijah Hicks and Thomas Graham that's fine. You know, you can be okay. It's just, you just have to, there has to be some kind of, um, you just, it has to be all at a, at a similar level because you can't just have, you just can't have any just like glaring holes because the glaring holes come back to bite you. Well, I know we're, we're coming up on an hour and I know Greg could probably, Greg probably has a list of questions he would still like to to ask you, Jamie, but (laughs) any parting questions, uh, Greg? Uh, no, I just think I, you know, I, this is what I like about Jamie. Cause he's always, he's always on the, the same wavelength as me, but he just says it in a much more intelligent way. Um, it, it's, it, you know, it, it's like, it's kind of like I said with the, when, when someone like Kevin Austin goes down, um, you know, it, like Jamie said, it matters, but it doesn't, it, it matters in the sense that like, man, this is going to bite you at some point and you know, it will. And it's the same thing with like, like Nicholas Singleton, I think is a good example of this where, you know, in terms of the running back room, it's, it's, 
I don't want to say acceptable, but the, the running back room is good. And 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 I know Jamie thinks a lot of Jadarian Price, and I think a lot of Jadarian Price. And they have good backs, and they're gonna they're gonna have a good running game. This doesn't this doesn't preclude them from being a good having a good running situation. At the same time, you need guys like him. You need guys who are just like one cut and oh no 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 we can't let him turn the corner like no 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 we cannot let him get leverage on us you need guys like that on the roster and regardless of what your you know your roster situation is you can't have enough of guys like him and and that's the that's the thing about it is when you lose when, when you go into the season in like 2019, you're supposed to have Kevin Austin. You're supposed to have Kevin Austin and Chase Claypool. And what does that offense look like with those two guys? But then you don't have him because of, you know, circumstances. And those circumstances happen at some position every single year. And when you're not landing the guys or enough guys, when you're taking two a year, you know, that's the problem when you're just, you don't, it's an opportunity cost. You don't have players to turn to. And that was the, you know, if people are going to get on Dell about anything, I think that's the thing is like, you just, you know, in 2020 Austin and Lindsay get hurt and keys is dealing with all sorts of different issues as well. And it'd be one thing if you were turning to, you know, options that weren't freshmen, right? That weren't freshmen and Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watson, Jay Brunel, and maybe they're ready and maybe they're not. And it turned out they were not, but you couldn't, you couldn't turn to the 2019 guys because they weren't available. They didn't have them. They were playing defense. And, and so that's the, that's the problem. So, you know, like Jamie said, when you miss on guys like this, when you miss on guys like Singleton, you know, if they happen to miss out on Merriweather, if they happen to miss out on Merriweather, it's it's bad, right? Because he's he's one of those guys like you need him on the roster. The roster will still be healthy, right? That doesn't mean that Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey and Jaden Thomas like they can't hit. They can. You need these guys on the roster though. And so I, I think, you know, just just to kind of put a bow on it, like they recruit well on offense. And honestly, the defense is catching up to the offense in the way that they are recruiting is kind of like Jamie um, pointed out. Like the offense has been the better recruiting side for the last couple of cycles and the defense is catching up. And even in that, like CJ Williams, top 100 player, like Tobias Merriweather, top 100 player. Like it's not like it's not like the, the offense is going backwards. They're not. It's just that the defense is finally catching up to them. Um, but. You know, much like the team at large, there is there is that uh, next level that they just they got to get there. Um, just one thing, too, because I know that Greg mentioned this before and we didn't really get into it. And, we, you know, we won't have a lot of time to get into it. But um, the defense and kind of where they've been and good, very good. Right. But yeah, I, and Craig mentioned this to me before, but there is this idea that the defense was always at a championship level, and it, it really has not been. They've been very good, close to it, but no. Like, not 
you know, and it's because of depth at certain positions, you know, that's part of it. And, you know, having enough elite players at certain positions or like being elite at all three levels, right? And, you know, if you look at like FEI and their average in Elko Lee years is 14th, right? So good. I mean, top 15, even, I mean, they were like, their average was 59th or 65th or whatever it was under BBG, right? So they obviously got a lot, lot better. But, I mean, when you look at where, like, say, Clemson is, Clemson, they're top five every year. Like, a bad year for them is eighth, right? Mm -hmm. And Notre Dame has only been, only one year were they above that out of the last four years, right? And so, yeah, the defense, that's what you're hoping that happens with, you know, Marcus Freeman is that they go up a level, right? And it's not that Clarkley wasn't a great coordinator, but... But some of it is, yeah, some of it is talent too, right? And kind of bringing it back to what what Greg said is, you know, if they, the margin for error on offense because of how they've missed in some things. So at certain positions, so there's a very small margin for error where they, you know, we mentioned all those people left. If they don't get Tobias Merriweather, well, then it's like, well, then they have to get Andre Green. Because if they don't get Andre, like, there's just a lot of that. And Mm -hmm. that's why people kind of freak out about it. But then on defense, um, so, you know, they're probably going to land Jalen Sneed here very soon, right? So if you land Sneed, Junior, Tui Halamaka, Nolan Ziegler, and Josh Burnham in, in the same class, you know, and you have Prince Coley in the in the class before, and you know what? Not all those guys are going to be studs, you know? That's just how it is. There's only a, a certain amount of guys that get on the field. But that's enough guys that if one guy misses or one guy has bad injury luck or whatever, you're You're going to be fine. And that's what you just want to do is you want to just stack on stack on stack. And then that deals with not only just depth or whatever, but it, 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 you know, you're going to, you're going to hit cause it's enough times to be really good. And that, and that's like what it really kind of comes down to recruiting every position. And that's why they've always been good on the offensive line. Cause even when they've been like, not good by Notre Dame standards. They're still like considered good by everyone else in college football because um, there's a lot of incompetent offensive line play out there in especially, I mean, we saw a lot in the ACC last year, but you know, Notre Dame will never ever be bad to that kind of level of some of those teams because they just recruit too well. They, they land too many good guys, right? So they're just always going to be like at like, a decent level at minimum and then get a chance to be really good all the time because they just, if they have injuries or guys don't work out well in the class behind them, they always have somebody else. Yeah. As I said, sounds <laughs> like, uh, sounds like we might need to do a follow-up pod with, uh, with Jamie on defense. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Jamie, this was awesome. Thank you for, for joining us. Those of you listening, if you're not subscribing to Irish Sports Daily right now, you probably should be because you can get insights like Jamie just shared with us here on our on our pod on a daily basis. Um, so uh, so definitely uh, check them out if you uh, if you're not already. And again, Jamie, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. All right, thanks, Jamie. Brings us to the end of another edition of Single High, the Notre Dame football podcast from UHND. As always, thank you guys for listening. We hope you like that interview with Jamie. We hope you like the podcast that we're putting out there so far. 
just as a reminder, please leave us some reviews on uh, on Apple uh, Podcasts if that is how you're you're listening to us. The better you guys review us there, the more likely it is for uh, for other Notre Dame fans to uh, to stumble across this lovely little podcast that we have uh, that we've set up. As we said in the intro, so much going on in recruiting right now. We'll probably record another one here in the uh, in the next few days, so be on the lookout for that. You know, we're just a few weeks out from from fall camp at this point, so there's going to be a ton to talk about there. Uh, but uh, yeah, exciting times for uh, for Notre Dame football. And uh, any any parting shots or any any parting thoughts this week, Greg? No, just uh, thanks again to Jamie for coming on. It was uh, it was a really good conversation. Um, I always like when when he. Uh, He's thinking along the same lines as me. I feel like it's uh, if it lets me know I'm on the right track. <laughs> there you go. Some uh, just some va- some validation to the yeah. uh, to uh, to uh, to the thoughts. Oh. All right, Greg. Well, hey man, always good chatting, and uh, we will talk to you all soon. And thanks uh, again for listening, everybody. Yeah.